0: chapter 30 of Joaquin the Claude Duval of California this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org joaquin the claude duval of california or the marauder of the mines a romance founded on truth by henry l williams Chapter 30 The Prisoner's Fate, Joaquin's Head and Garcia's Hand, The End After this bloody skirmish, Captain Love collected the spoils, the valuable horses which were restored to their real owners, six Mexican saddles more or less heavily silvered, as many revolvers, silver spurs, fine cloaks, and a pair of holster pistols. As these successful rangers were returning to San Francisco, one of the captives broke his bond somehow and flung himself into a pool of water, where he drowned himself. His companion was placed in the Mariposa County Jail, where he remained until the capturing party was dissolved, when he was taken to Martinez. There, he made a confession which proved the participation of a great number of his countrymen in the crimes he had committed. He was going to make revelations more important still in order to be the state's evidence, when he was prevented this at midnight, the prison doors were burst in by a mob of Mexicans who took him out and hanged him as Mexicans had rarely been so eager to anticipate justice by lynching. The belief is that these were active members of Joaquin's association of rancheros who were desirous to cut short their repentant partners' avowals. Love's men had only one object in view now: the obtaining of the rewards offered throughout the country to the captors as slayers of the notorious murderer and marauder. Most assuredly, they had earned the offers by the courage they had displayed, the dangers which they had braved, and the steadfastness with which they had pursued Morietta into the very midst of his band, and, to make evident reason short, by their whole conduct. The public, of course, would have to be furnished with proofs of the facts. Otherwise, it would never have been believed that the famous Joaquin had been killed, despite all his worth, Captain Love would have had shameful suspicions attached to his reputation, so he had to do what in other cases he was too brave to have dreamt of, that is, give the order for Marietta's head to be cut off and carried to the nearest town, 150 miles off, to be preserved in spirits. On the 14th of August, Black and Nuttle reached San Francisco from Stockton, bearing the head of the famous highwayman, whose countless crimes had given him an unparalleled name in the annals of wrongdoing. The astonishing rapidity of his actions, the number of his accomplices, the extent of his operations over a region excessively vast, had united to set his name up simultaneously in opposite quarters so often that some people actually deemed him a myth, to whom was erroneously attributed all the guilt of all the malefactors in the land. Even after his death, rumor would have it that he was still in the southern countries, continuing his system of daily murders and pillaging as in the past the rancheros and mining camps. But Black and Nuttle, besides the Capit Mortem, brought with them numerous certificates from persons who had been acquainted with Joaquin. It was therefore impossible to doubt the identity and not credit the assertions of Captain Love and his gallant comrades. The head was on exhibition in order to let the people see and judge for themselves. Thus ran the placard. Joaquin's head can be seen at King's, corner of Halleck and Samson Streets, opposite the American Theater. Admission, one dollar. Among the numerous guarantees and certificates were the following. State of California, United States, County of San Francisco. Ignacio Lizarago of Sonora, after being duly sworn, declares that he has seen the so-called head of Joaquin, now in the hands of Messrs. Nuttall and Black, lieutenants of Captain Love's independent company, which head is exhibited on the premises of John King, Sampson Street, and that the depondent knew well Joaquin Morietta, and swears that the aforesaid head is really and truly that of the Morietta aforementioned. Signed, Ignacio Lizarago. Sworn before me this 18th August, A.D. 1853, Charles D. Carter, Notary Public. State of California, U.S., San Joaquin County. This day, the 11th of the month of August of the present year, 1853, appeared before me A.C. Bain, criminal judge of the said county, in person, the Reverend Dominic Blave, who declared under oath, conformably to law, that he had known for two years Joaquin Morietta, the famous bandit, and further that he, the dependant aforesaid, has seen the head which at present is in the possession of Captain Connor, one of Captain Harry Love's lieutenants of his independent force, and that he believes that the said head is that of Joaquin himself, known to him as declared above. Signed, Dominic Blave. Certified and signed by me, on date of these presents, A.C. Bain, Judge. This happened, let us say, to give another meed to the man of all deserving it, though we go off our road, under the French consulates, as the antique Romans say of Monsieur Dillon, one of the most estimable of gentlemen, whose appointment to his troublous position was an honour to his country, as to that of his residence, and almost a blessing to the queen city of the Pacific." Nor should we omit on this occasion to speak in commendation of Monsieur Morgenheit, sometime French consul at Monterey, who was ever vigilant in aiding the authorities. Monsieur Morganheit was a true type of the French gentleman. As we were saying, everybody and his wife and child flocked to stare at the head of the highwayman, not an unhandsome one by any means. We wonder, though, that the lip did not curl with scorn and the eyes flashed fire at the remarks which some Yankee phrenologist passed on it in our hearing. It was carried around into different parts of the state, along with the three-fingered hand of Garcia, which terrified certain superstitious people by its nails having grown at least an inch since it had been severed from the wrist. After a formal verification, Colonel John Bigler, governor of the state, had paid over to Captain Harry Love the sum of a thousand dollars which he had personally promised to the captor of the bandit, dead or alive. A little later, May the 15th, 1854, the Senate, considering firstly that the ridding the land of such a scourge had not been sufficiently rewarded, decreed that an additional sum of five thousand dollars should be allowed. Although the death of their leader was an irreparable loss to his followers, and even compelled them to disband, they broke up into little parties and continued a desultory skirmishing, which sometimes made people fancy that the highwayman's spirit was up in arms again. Toward the end of 54, the head of Morietta was sold by Deputy Sheriff Harrison in virtue of a seizure for debt against the owner of the relic. While the bidding was at its height, a voice, either Irish or good imitation, and earnest or well feigned, cried out apparently indignantly, "'Ah, is it selling the head of your fellow creature, ye are? "'The saints betime us. "'Ye'll never have anything but bad says all your life.'" The bidding had run up to 3 and 60 dollars. Down fell the hammer, and that's the price the head went for. Here comes the singular part. Not long afterwards, Harrison committed suicide. The buyer, a gunsmith known as Natchez, was accidentally killed in showing a loaded pistol to a customer. Such is the story of the most famous bandit that the world, ancient or modern, ever had its record stained with. In tracing it through authentic sources, documents, and newspapers which pioneered the literary prides of the present days of Atlas, Golden Ages, Mercuries, etc., etc., perhaps we have colored the facts a little vividly, but we have not inserted an account of one homicide which was not true. And in rounding off our pages relative to the dark days of the Golden Land, Let us express our wish that she may increase in all freshness and beauty and riches, and that she will continue evermore on her peaceful path, the frown replaced by a smile of happiness, her robes no more trailed in blood and earth, but radiant with purest gold and purest silver, brighter than the intelligence of her sons, pure as her daughters' hearts. The End End of Chapter 30 Recording by Todd and of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth, by Henry L. Williams.